Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Conscious Vibe Podcast, where we elevate intellect through conscious dialogue while exploring race, politics, business, and culture. I'm Dr. Darrell L. Jones, and I'm Charles D. Mitchell. Welcome to the Conscious Vibe. Charles, how are you? Dr. Jones, good to see you today. Good to see you as well. Good holidays. Great holiday. Um, just relaxed with some family and friends and uh, probably had a little too much to eat and perhaps a few too too many cocktails. <laughs> uh, but uh, otherwise, it was great. It was fantastic just to have a little bit of downtime. It was good. You did what, an Ironman? Or? No, two weeks ago, I did a triathlon. Yeah. How'd it go? Good. I mean, I finished. Which was, was all great. I was trying to do. Your first one? First, first one. Um, Congrats. Thank you. Uh, it was uh, kind of euphoric. I think I literally spent days afterwards. Just I could not stop thinking about uh, the event and uh, just uh, I'm excited to do more. Matter of fact, I just signed up to do another event. I'm trying to decide if I'm going to do an Olympic distance this time. The first one was a, was a mini sprint. But there's one on Lake Pleasant, March 7th. Um, that's in Arizona, by the way. And, uh, so yeah, I'm going to do that then and uh, try to get some more practice in before trying to attempt, uh, an Ironman competition June 27th in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. So excited about that. You ever been to Idaho? I have never been to Coeur d'Alene, but I've been to Idaho. A friend of mine has a, a home on the lake in a place called McCall, Idaho. So I've been there a couple of times. All right. Sounds like fun. I've only been to Boise. Yeah, and I hear Boise is amazing. Boise. Boise, as I guess they say in Idaho. Yeah. Uh, You're going to introduce our producer who's going to talk to us a little bit today? You know what? Hello, Jessica. How are you? I go by Jay. Thank you. (laughs) Hello, Jay. How are you? I'm great. Thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to get to know you all better. Absolutely. And that's what we'll do today is spend a little bit of time. I mean, I think we've hosted some really interesting folks. Um, But now we'll spend today talking a little bit about our backgrounds and fielding some questions from Jay. So you ready for this, Charles? 100%. Let's do it. I think I am. We'll see when the the questions come. So, All right. So to me, you guys seem like brothers, and I know you're not. So how did you guys – how long ago did you meet? How did you meet? And how did you become this close and able to have such a great relationship? I'll I'll tickle it. We actually are brothers. (laughs) We are fraternity brothers. Yes. Ah. We are fraternity brothers. Anniversary tomorrow. Absolutely. J5. That's right. Find new pie. Find new pie. And um, we pledged, though, at different colleges around the same time. Yep. So we are um, fraternity brothers. So we do have a brotherhood that we share, Kappa Alpha Psi, Find New Pie. And we met through a mutual fraternity brother who we may be interviewing later on this week, actually. Yeah, we were together this weekend. He actually was in town. Absolutely. For the same event last year when we met. Right. So when I said I didn't like frat boys, you guys were offended, weren't you? <laughs> no, no you not at what? all. I had a different yeah, connotation when you said a frat boys. There's type of frat boys. Exactly. You when you said frat boy, I was thinking <laughs> you, you, something you, very different you, than what a, he and I experienced. There's a specific type you don't like. You you would love us. <laughs> so, yeah. So, no, we were, we were not. We didn't include ourselves. Okay. Uh, not at all. In that conversation. Jeez. Okay, so frat brothers that met when? 2018? No, we met in 2020. No, 20. Yeah, it was 2020. Yeah, we met in um, It was early. Yeah. Was it it December or January? Yeah, it was December of 2019. Tell me about that faded day. Faded day? (laughs) Well, no. uh, So, um, Reg, 
um, reaches out and says, hey, we'd already made some plans for people to come over to my house after the soccer game um, that evening. It was a soccer tournament that um, our fraternity brother's son and then good friends of ours from Oregon, who actually here this weekend as well, their son is playing on the same club team out of Oregon, and they were here for a tournament. And we were at the game together, and we talked about having like a little get-together at my house after the game. And uh, Reg reached out on the way back and said, hey, I got a, a frat brother in town, just moved here recently. I want to have him come over. Do you mind? I said, absolutely. Bring him over. And um, brought DJ over. DJ came in. I literally, it's like the moment we met. It was like, this is a cool brother. I like him. And um, we started staying in touch and uh, spending time together, just connecting. He'd come over to the house or I'd go over to his place. And then um, when COVID hit, you know, it, it was it sort of shifted in terms of those little times started to be just, you know, a little back backyard on his mm-hmm. patio, my patio. Uh, we'd have a few just a handful of other people that we were close to, a little tight group that we just sort of made our little COVID circle, if you will. And uh, started having really rich conversation and dialogue. And DJ and I just started to we, we found common values around a lot of things that we thought that were important conversations. There were nuances to where we were coming from in our thought process that perhaps was just a little bit different. Didn't mean we were on a different page, so to speak, but it was just our experiences lead us to a different place in terms of the conversation. And we thought this would be rich and interesting for others. Yeah, I'd agree 100 percent. And, you know, quite honestly, there was another fraternity brother of ours, uh, Wayne Humphreys, who mentioned Charles to me on a prior trip to Scottsdale and said, hey, man, if you have any time. This is a brother you really need to meet. Well, that was probably around summertime 2019, maybe four or five months before I moved here. I was doing some house hunting, trying to figure out what area I wanted to live in. And I wasn't able to connect with you on that trip. I had your information, but it was in and out. I was in Vegas. You know, the funny the thing is, I was probably in California anyway. Okay. During the summertime, we typically get out of here by mid-June and don't come back to school. Starts because you guys have... Six seven houses right across across the country, and so you were you were probably there. Yeah, and in, in the next dream, <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, okay. the dream I'll have tonight. Yeah, we have six seven houses across the country. <laughs> okay. Absolutely, you have a place in California. We right? do have a place in California. Okay. So wasn't able to make that happen, but as as fate would have it, uh, moved here in November of nineteen, and within probably three weeks, was able to connect with Charles. Now here's the irony of it. I was in bed asleep. I don't even know if you know this. I was in bed asleep. I had Here's seen the funny thing. earlier. Here's the funny thing. Now that I've gotten to know you, I'm not surprised by that. Because we got going a little late. Yeah, I was yeah. asleep. Reg hit me, woke me up. He called me, said, hey, man, I'm going over Charles's. I'm like, brother, I'm asleep. What, do you go to bed at 8? 30. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm up at 4, right? So if there's nothing popping, why do I need to stay up, you know, to 8.45? So <laughs> I fell asleep. I'm, I'm asleep, like shut it down asleep, right? And I lived in a very geriatric neighborhood too, by the way, at the time. Um, so I'm done. I actually told Richmond, I'll catch you in the morning. I hung up. I called him back and said, man, you know what? Let me, let me, something feels right. So let me get up, man. Shower, got up wow. and rolled over, man. That's cool. I was I was asleep. I called him back and said, man, and it was like six minutes away from me. Yeah. So 
there's that too. So who knows when we would have met, how we would have met if that didn't happen. No doubt. So it's kind of that feeling we were talking about before of just knowing when you found the one. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You just knew. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I mean, not that you not know where you're going with that, but. (laughs) That's cute. I'll, I'll take that as a compliment and not anything that's going to like make us seem like we're something that we're not. I know. I know. I'm kidding. Okay. I got it. Okay. So you now have this podcast and a lot of people talk about doing things, right? We hear people have these big dreams and ideas and rarely do they end up taking action. But you guys, I mean, I feel like you had your first guest book before you even knew how you were doing it. What made you both be like full speed ahead? Let's do this. You know, I think for me, I think it just was, um, you know how you talk about something enough that you get to a point where it's like, okay, what are we going to do here? And the good news, I think, for for how DJ and I approached this situation was we weren't necessarily trying to create something for this big ultimate, like, goal of, I mean, you know, it'd be nice to be Joe Rogan. Um, But for us, it was really about let's get our voice out and let's just have a conversation and see what happens. And I think at some point we just said, look, let's just do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, that's how I see it all coming together. Um, Once we had a, a, a real opportunity to just move forward and actually let's do some research. Let's find someone who can produce this for us and let's figure out the route for that. I think the content for how we wanted to display and share the conversation, that piece was easy for us. Yeah. And I also think, you know, one of the things I I appreciate about Charles is he's not going to over talk something. He'll do it. And that's 100% my personality. I don't think about the failure piece of it. Um, I do manage risk, but there's no risk in this to me. I'm at a point in my life when I can make decisions, not worry about what folks think about what I'm doing. I don't have a lot of filters to roll this through. So when I brought it up to Charles, immediately he was like, you know what? That sounds like a great idea. Um, We talked about it a couple times. And then I remember the last time I brought it up, I could see he was serious about it. I said, okay, done contacted you, full motion. But I'm not one to sit and talk about a lot of stuff that I'm not going to do. Yeah, same. And um, fortunately, you know, Charles thinks the same way. So we made it happen really fast. Um, We're very accountable people. But at the same time, I'm not overly concerned about the numbers that we do right now. Mm -hmm. We think that'll happen if it's supposed to happen. This was something that we were passionate about, and we feel like we can create great content. Yeah, quality conversations. I mean, and, mm-hmm. and, and you know, more than anything, it's about just making sure that we provide an authentic voice around things that we don't feel like there's a lot of authenticity around today. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that allows us to have what maybe, you know, some people say this is a different conversation or they're hearing different voices talk about these things. But to me, that's what makes it, in, in my opinion, special. Another, you know, I probably will never quote Floyd Mayweather again, but one of the things he talks about is not getting in in shape, but staying in shape. And I think one of the things that in the back of my mind was we don't know what this could evolve to. But if we don't do anything, nothing's in motion. Never know. Exactly. But now we're in motion. You've already failed when you don't try. Absolutely. No question. Absolutely. So as opportunities arise, and actually some things I do want to talk to you about that I think we we can – 
this is a forum to get some things done mm-hmm. that I've been approached with. It so, really is. I mean, this is a new way to expand this type of dialogue and just get people thinking, right? You don't have to convince them of anything, but right. it's you're putting out that good karma into the universe of, you know, you never know who's going to stumble across and you might change their life. That's right. Jay, you know, you, the, the, the fundamental thing that you said just then is that we don't have to change anybody's mind and we're not trying to, right. you know, and I think that's the beauty of it all. It's just let it land where it lands and then we all move on and see where it goes. Yeah, that, you know, I um, one of the things I've been really cognizant of probably within the last even eight to six months is not living my life as a critic. And I think that's an easy mode to get into, especially if you feel comfortable and you you feel like, hey, you know what? My life's pretty good. You can make this shift into being a critic about about things and become critical of what's happening around you as opposed to a creator and a doer. And I'm in, I'm going to stay in the creation and doing mode, not becoming a critic and a person who likes and dislikes things. But I like to have something in motion that's really positive, And I feel like what we're doing is really positive and not spend my time criticizing things around me. So that was also really important to me too. That's really powerful. Well said. Okay. So you have had an amazing career with Nike. And obviously that's all about sports. So I want to talk about sports and how it's impacted both of your lives. And I'd love to get a little bit of insight because you were an athlete. You're a wannabe athlete. I'm just kidding. And and I think that it's just a really interesting story to hear all the things that you've done at Nike and then hear your experience with it and how they kind of intersect or don't. No. Yeah, sure. I think that's great. You want to tee it up? Yeah, sure. Um, You know, um, DJ asked me that question a little bit earlier about, you know, how did sports impact me or have any influence in my life? And I say it's been a huge factor, you know, and, and look, wasn't necessarily an accomplished athlete by any stretch of the imagination, um, but I love sport, you know, and, and from the, from the time I could hold a ball or a bat or whatever it was that would get me out and have me, sort of understand what what I could do, how I could uh, compete, um, how I could get better. And, you know, I was, you know, I was always this little scrawny, scrawny kid um, and, and trying to play with the bigger boys, the older boys, and particularly in basketball, and just had to claw and scrap and fight my way just to get on the court a lot of times, you know, and uh, sort of earn your way and earn, you know, as as, lot, as we used to say a lot of times, earn your rep. Um in order to be able to be seen as someone who could, you know, contribute, you know, and, and we're talking about contribute just on a playground, right? You know, be, you know, you're trying to play basketball, you know, with the, you know, there's 20 guys on the sidelines and if you lose, you might as well go home. You know, it was about just really trying to be in a place where you're contributing to that, that unit, that team that, you know, we're trying to play all day. And it was those experiences of just be having the opportunity to, uh, to learn to play the ba- game of basketball, um, and then learn accountability and uh, working hard to get better every single day, trying to get better. Um, and then that grit, you know, that sort of never, never, never quit mentality. Um, I think that's carried through for, for everything I've been able to do in life from from academics and, and, and through school and then obviously professional career and then trying to become an entrepreneur um, and, and, and certainly needing to compete in that environment. 
So uh, I think it's all been super relevant for me, and I'm just so grateful for it. I mean, I love, you know, I continue to love um, sport and play and, well, not as much anymore play. Although I've changed, you know, the venue has changed. It may not be a basketball court, but maybe now it's a triathlon. Triathlon, exactly. Yeah, not many, you know, people will try a triathlon for the first time in their life at 54 54 years old. It's amazing. amazing. Although I met a guy the other night um, at, um, what's the bar across the street from uh, Cafe Monarch? Reserve. Reserve. The guy, the bartender said, he was sharing with me his father, 65, uh, completed Kona, the Kona Ironman. Wow. wow. 65. I was like, wow. It's an accomplishment. Yeah, inspiration for sure. Yeah, sports been critical to me ever since <clears throat> I can remember. Um Grew up football, track, and uh, baseball, and loved all three equally. Track became a conditioning sport for me for football. Uh, I played basketball up through probably ninth grade, but never developed the bug like I did for for football specifically. And um, was always encouraged by my mom, who I lived with through sixth grade, and my grandmother's seventh through twelfth to be active in sport. Um, They were always at my games. Um, My whole family would come to my games, cousins, everybody. Um, And I was a good athlete. And through high school, I was able to earn a scholarship for football and track to a D2 school. Unfortunately, it was in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. So I went on a recruiting trip, signed a letter of intent. Went up there in the winter, Cold. came right back home. I said, you know what? <laughs> if I can't get the scholarship to somewhere else, I'm going to have to take this academic scholarship. So I ended up taking an ap- academic scholarship to Michigan State. Um, full intentions on trying to walk on, but once I got there, joined the fraternity freshman year, um, I went through a bit of an identity crisis not being an athlete. And... You know, was very close to making the call back to northern Michigan. Hey, I'm still in shape. What about me coming up in the fall kind of thing? Like, I was really going through a bit of an identity crisis. I've been in organized sports probably since I was four years old. Mm -hmm. But, you know, wrote it out and was fortunately, you know, to the question you asked before about Nike, my fourth, third or fourth company, my fourth company, uh, was Nike. I got a call from a recruiter. And, um, you know, to this day, I don't know who recommended me to the recruiter. They didn't call Pepsi for me where I was. They called for another person who recommended me. So I landed in 96 with Nike in the golf division. Spent about 19 and a half years there. Um, wonderful career. Culture shifted a little bit towards the end of my track at Nike. But I uh, was able to leave and, quote, unquote, retire from corporate America. But that 19 and a half years being involved in sports, something I was so passionate about, felt like a dream for such a long time um, as a practitioner who could be involved in sport. Like my job is to understand what's happening in sport today. Like that's pretty cool. I'm working on the Olympics. And very cool. Traveling to Rio to help build our infrastructure for the Olympics. And I mean, it's like this is a job. Very competitive, very cutthroat. Because anybody you walk past wants your job. But being an athlete, I was accustomed to that. 
and never operated in a zone of fear or concern. I was, you know, trained to be a leader through sport. So when I retired, uh, 2015, I was still very sport focused and I always will be. So when I entered the doctoral program, I centered my research around fans and leaders in the sports industry. So that was my focus. And I took the track of, you know, managing crisis in sport. So, um, you know, today I, I still work out. Um, I golf. I picked up golf late in life. I've only been golfing about four years. Um, one of the toughest sports I've ever tried to pick up, especially at this point. Nothing I've ever done in sport prepared me to be a great golfer. It's like, you know, when you see people golfing. That is so funny. You worked all those years in the golf division. <laughs> and never, you know, I have a similar one. I mean, I, I literally, yeah. I an, an interned. I was an intern when I was in law school. I was an intern at PGA Tour. Uh, their headquarters in Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida, and could play golf for free all summer. Lessons were like 10 bucks. Didn't play the entire summer. It just wasn't my thing. At least I didn't think it was at the yeah, time. Yeah, for me, Until, it wasn't my thing because it, it was. It took a lot of time, and I didn't want to have exactly to do right. something. So when I was able to retire, it's like, you know what? Now I can get into it. But I had to unlearn some things around sport being this uh, mechanically aggressive thing that you do. Mm-hmm. It's about fluidity and smoothness, and so I had to kind of relearn some things. But yeah, when you hear the the term, you have a very athletic swing. That's not necessarily a compliment yeah. in golf. <laughs> I've, heard, yeah. I've heard that one too many you're times. Trying to chop a tree, you know. <laughs> but um, you know, you'll find when you get out there uh, that it's um, it's a beautiful thing because no matter how many people you're playing with, you are always competing against yourself. What That's did what I, I shoot about last golf. time? That's what I love about it. So all that matters. What did I shoot last time? And mm-hmm. what's my PR? What's my personal record? What's my best score? And every time you play, you're trying to top it. I don't care where you are or what you're doing. So I played this morning. Um, shot fairly well. Felt good about it. Tomorrow's a whole new day. We'll see what happens. So you both play golf. How often do each of you play? I, I play. I to hear this. I... <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> no. So – so oh, just to set the tone for the conversation, I play golf as often as I'm invited. Okay. Okay. Touche. Okay. As often as I'm invited. So you're not going to invite someone? No, no, no. What I'm saying is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's not no, what I'm what saying. Like that's it. not what I'm saying. You get to what you what saying. I'm saying <laughs> is, understand what you when mean. I'm offered the invitation to play golf, what I typically play golf. Okay. Typically. What happens the other time. <laughs> well, I have to be invited first, right? Don't that 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 implies that there has to be an invitation, and then when I accept, we actually play golf. So let me ask you this question, which is interesting: Why would you only play if you were invited? Time. I'm not retired <laughs> like someone else sitting beside. Touche. Okay. That's a pretty good answer. So you know, I get up, I go to work every day. Um, I tend tend to have a calendar. Which means that there are things that you know I'm obligated and committed to, you know, and then perhaps you know one of the obligations and the commitments I have is to this podcast, and you know from time to time we'll show up, and then the conversation will be, well, what are you doing uh, this afternoon? What are you doing tomorrow morning at seven o'clock? When perhaps I've been committed for a number of weeks. Have you ever canceled on me to play golf? Mm-hmm. 
Think about that. Have you ever invited me to play golf? Absolutely. You've invited me to play golf. And what did you say? I play probably once or twice a year when I've been, been invited, just to answer your question. Okay. Oh, that's pretty bad. Here's what will be interesting. We'll once or this, twice. We'll do this on air. We'll do this on air to make it. <laughs> see? Yeah, yeah. See? Okay. I'm here for okay. it. We're gonna what do, do you we're gonna... play next week? I'd like to invite you. Next week, I have, to check my, I have to check my calendar. Okay, That's it. why I picked the phone up. We got time to check for, my I'm calendar. Gonna wait, I'm gonna wait I will check my that. calendar. Let's so if you hear the noise of my phone on the podcast, you know that. Oh yeah, just checking my calendar. that was his phone. Perfect. Mm-hmm. That's not the first time you picked. That doesn't phone mean we have to stop the conversation. I'm going to check my calendar. We can keep talking. <laughs> okay, okay. So let's shift it on to me for a second. I'm going to get into golf in 2021, DJ. What are the three things that I should be mentally cognizant about as I embark on this? You know, challenging sport that I have no experience Staying in. Staying away from Charles. Okay. Because oh, you'll never play if you include him. Unbelievable. Take lessons. Okay. Don't, this isn't top golf, right? Don't just <laughs> jump Terrible out at there. Golf. I actually stay away from top golf. Yeah, don't, don't jump out there <laughs> chopping at it and getting frustrated and never wanting to go again. It, you can't go out there and be great. Really take some lessons. And my philosophy was, I took 10 lessons before I played okay. the first time. Uh, play with people better than you. That's not going to be hard. Okay. It's like the whole population. But even as you start to improve and you have folks around you that just love being around you and just want to play and make be silly about it, I would discourage that. Continue to play with people who are better than you and set a watermark. Is that why you don't invite Charles to play with you? It, it is because I know deep down. <laughs> oh, that was awesome. But um, I can so, play Tuesday afternoon. Done. Tuesday at 12. He doesn't now, even I, have to look. Operations say no more. Now, here's what's beautiful. I can't tee off there until like, you know, maybe 12, 30, 12, 45. Okay, so this is done. This is at the must swimming. This is in the atmosphere. 1230. You heard it. Check back next week and let's find out if he went. And he also committed he will shoot a 95 when we play. So, Do I get to pick the course? Yeah. I couldn't care less where we play. Okay. That'll help with, but, the, that'll help with the 95. Where I play is probably one of the easiest courses you'll be able to play. So, Where is that? Kierland. Kierland's a very friendly course. I haven't played, long, I have played in a long time, so okay. I can't speak to that. Yeah, okay, well, for me. all the non-golfers out there, we're now going to segue into something completely different, which I want an answer out of Charles. You went to law school. Um, you also have an MBA, and you've got um, a certificate of, what was it, from Harvard Business School. I forgot. I've read your bio so, so many program, times. Uh, it's an executive management program called Owner President Management. Which you got, what, four years ago, three years ago? Uh, no, uh, actually it was, gosh, 12 years ago. Was it? Yeah, so wait, yeah. Okay, so a lot of education behind you. Yeah. And you are not a lawyer, so. I was, I practiced law for five years. And then what happened? Uh, we started my company. We started, uh, my wife and I started All About People. So what gave you guys the idea for starting All About People? Uh, She's been in the business since it was her first job out of college. And, uh, I was bugging her for a long time to let's go off and do this on our own. And uh, we were actually in Denver, Colorado, meeting with some uh, another colleague of hers who actually was trying to recruit her to to join his organization. And um, but in the weekend, he essentially said, "You know, you you know, we this would be amazing. We could make this work." And I thought Denver would be a great place to me. Obviously, at that particular time, 
it's not the town it is today, but it was moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so great environment for like entrepreneurship, for growth and all those things. So I was super excited about it. But, you know, his last words to her before we came back were, why would you work this hard again for somebody else? And the light bulb went off and we got on the plane and um, she said, you know, I think I want to I want to I want to start this this company. And she said, will you do it with me? And uh, she, she I mean, that was like. That was like asking someone who hadn't had food in like two months if they were hungry, you know. And so I was, you know, we we jumped into that and and went into uh, you know our own business. And uh, man, what eighteen and a half years later, no regrets, zero. That's awesome. Zero. I mean, it's been an incredible ride in terms of just not just you know the the financial opportunities, but certainly just the ability to to grow and build something, to see something sort of that sort of take shape that you were a part of creating and to see it become something and then be able to sustain it. Like we don't need to be there, right? It's one of those things where we're at a point where the business can sustain and survive with the leadership that's there that doesn't necessarily have to always include us. And I think that's just a a, a great place to be. And I feel really fortunate. Congratulations. Uh, That's a huge accomplishment. Thank you. Is there anything either of you have wanted to do in your life that you just haven't been able to get around to doing yet? Travel, write a book. Um, write a book. Yeah. 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 Always want to write a book. I wrote a book of short stories probably six years ago. And I self-published too. it. That's good too. I read it. That's amazing. Um, that I haven't done, probably retire. <laughs> I mean, I just, I, I can't, I can't stop. Like I, um, on the NBA team. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. It's a cool one. Yeah. Blazers, actually. There you go. I was hoping to buy it from Paul Allen before he, you know. There you go. Departed. I don't know if I can think of anything that I have. That's actually a really good question. Not at this point. You know, when I was in high school, the vision that I had for myself was very similar to where I am today. I knew I wanted to get a doctorate at some point, teach college, do something entrepreneurial get some corporate America experience, but not work in my, call it best years, not have to work for someone. Um, What's most important to me is managing my time and being healthy, emotionally, physically, and financially. And I feel like I'm there and I'm very happy about that, but I'm still motivated to continue to achieve goals that I've set for myself. I think what was also important to me is being able to help other people. I taught college for three years and, and got a lot out of that. I really enjoyed that. Still stay in touch with some students. Um, but I don't think, I can't think of anything I'm missing, but I also know life is this ongoing motion picture. So, you know, we'll see what's next, but um I'm pretty happy with how, where things are right now. So for a younger listener who's, say, 25 to 35, you guys are very, very accomplished business people and just in life in general. What would be the couple pieces of advice that you think would be really pertinent right now in 2021 that you could pass along? Wow. Um it's so funny because I always think that I'm still learning and growing and finding my own way. And um, 
I think if there's anything, first and foremost, I think you know, you want to be a lifelong learner, right? You want to be able to take lessons from just about everything you uh, come in contact with in life. You know, mm-hmm. obviously, we're all learning a lot having lived the last year in a pandemic. Um, I think you can. There are a lot of lessons. Uh, look, the, you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of people who suffered and struggled uh, during this past year, and um, you never want to make light of that. But I always do think that there's a gift and opportunity in just about every situation. And I think if you approach life with that perspective, then you allow yourself to be open to whatever may come your way, right? And so when you don't see uh, when you don't see what seems to be a good scenario or situation, if you continue looking through that that lens, you know there there's typically an opportunity to for something to appear that could be you know very much um, you know something that could be joyous or something that could be good for you in terms of your long term either personal or your professional prospects. So uh, that's just that's just one piece. I agree with those things. I also think, you know, one may sound a little curious, um, the other won't. Uh, be really clear about the value that you add. Um, be clear about your self-value, your self-worth. Know what that is. But also, when you enter a room, that could change. And understand when you enter a room what your value is. So many times I see younger folks enter a room and assume their value. And you can be wrong at the low or high end. And I see a lot of mistakes made on both sides of that. Be clear about the room you're entering and the value you add in that room and be confident about it. The other may sound um, not so positive, but it's personally worked for me. And it's expect very little of people. Um, I learned very young, and I'm an only child, that sometimes when you expect too much of others, it is sometimes a reflection of your own deficiencies. And I try to really work on the things that I feel are deficient that are going to allow me to get to the next step in life. So when I say expect very little of others, obviously there's an aspect of that where if you're leading a team, you have to have expectations of people. But also be very cognizant of when you have undue expectations of people that can impact you negatively. So I really mean it when I say it. I'd rather be surprised by how well someone did versus I had a really high expectation of someone and they didn't deliver. Now, I know that's probably not necessarily what folks want to hear out there, but I found it valuable in this regard. If I feel like someone else isn't going to necessarily deliver or I'm skeptical of that, I find I work harder. And that model works for me. And it might not be the most socially friendly conversation to have with someone, but I don't necessarily come in a room with high expectations of people. Of anyone. I think part of the mistake we make sometimes is the more we love someone, the higher the expectations are. There has to be more to it than that. 
that you have to assess capabilities at the same time. And if we don't have mechanisms to continually assess the capabilities of ourselves and others, and we default to how much we love them or how close we are to them, that doesn't necessarily mean we should expect more of them. And again, we probably don't have enough time to keep talking about this no, to explain no, I, it. I think that I think you make a really good point. And I think about it from the, in the context of managing people, managing teams. And I think you can get in a trap where, particularly in an area where you have some level of subject matter expertise and you're bringing people in to teach them something, teach them your business or teach them a process. And your your expertise or your knowledge or ability to excel in an area can be intimidating for others. And so if you bring that level of expectation of expecting something really, truly high from an individual that perhaps isn't able to contribute at that level, but maybe they're able to contribute at a level that satisfies, you know, another need in the business or another need in the, on the team or on the area of the project. And so you can still get something of value out of that person you know, without sort of devaluing what they bring from a standpoint of what you were expecting or thought they could bring. And I think you, if you can manage that in a way, you can really get people to produce in a way where they add value and continuing value without you ever having to feel like you're disappointing in what they have in, they eventually brought to the table. And again, you're talking to an only child and you're talking to a Virgo. So you're talking to someone who um, is very much okay being an individual this is not to say that I continue to operate in every aspect of my life, never having high expectations of people. I have found it to be a very useful and effective default at some critical moments to not have high and undue expectations of people. So I counter that with, do you feel like that takes away a bit of life excitement when you walk into everything with that type of mindset? That's a really good question. And it does not. That's a great question. It does not. Because I find so much excitement in my day-to-day life. That's something else I don't put on someone else, right? But when I see progress, let's take students, for example. When I see that progress, I get really, really excited about it. But I'm also excited on a daily basis, to be a part of the world, to be what's happening in the world, to add value in the world. I try not to put that expectation on other people. Now, you may say, well, isn't that pretty limiting in terms of the relationship that you have with other people? Actually, I don't think so. I think um, it allows me to be really objective. Um, I love to help. But it also, I hold myself very accountable. And I think it helps me do that. Um, no, I think I don't think I lose any happiness with with that approach. I think How do you what, feel? Well, I was just thinking about that, and and I think you know, I think for me um, to add to DJ's comments around that, if you don't bring judgment along with it, I think that's where one hundred percent. That's where you're able to to have an ability to not be frustrated or to not. Um, you know, walk around feeling you know disappointed in others all the time. But if you if you don't come from a place of judgment, if you can accept people for where they are, absolutely. And if they're not meeting expectations, or you don't set that expectation for them, they're just where they are. 
right? And that's okay, right? You can, you can, you don't have to marginalize it. You can just accept it. And I think when you accept things for what they are, you don't have to have a lot of emotion around it. You don't have to be um, disappointed. You so it's a bit of detachment and it's a way to not be a critic. 100%. Correct. So I'll give you the example of, um, let's take Lauren Bailey, yeah. who we had in. I heard so many wonderful things about Lauren. I almost had to work hard to not have high <laughs> expectations of Lauren, right? Yeah. But I did work hard not to. I don't think that's fair to her, right? Allow her to come in and be who she is. And I was unbelievably happy about that interview. Couldn't be happier about the interview. Um, but it wasn't because I entered it with a really high expectation that wasn't really fair to her. She having a bad day, you know, whatever it might be. So for me, I try to operate on this plane as both of you are now, I think, starting to even articulate in a different way of having minimal expectations, but also not being this critic that expects people to live up to my expectations. Now, let me make this statement. I'm at a place in life, too, where I'm not necessarily in business with other people or I don't have a 200 person team like I did at Nike. Right. I don't have to operate with those expectations the way I used to. It was different then. So now I'm trying to be a person who is not a walking critic with all these expectations of everybody I come in contact with now. There's a minimal expectation of respect, love and that sort of thing. Totally. But from a performance perspective. Um, I think it's a little bit presumptuous at times to have really high expectations and you can set yourself up for disappointment. Well, that looks like it's an evolution, a big departure. You know, it, it, it really the past is. you into the new you. Yeah, it, it really is. And I think it's liberating to come out of corporate America. Um, and I think especially for a lot of folks who are, um, you know, quote unquote minorities. Mm-hmm. And it was very... I, you know, you could argue I operated in a liberated fashion regardless, but even more so now. And it allows me to drop my shoulders and operate and not have these expectations of people that maybe I was taught to have when I operated in a corporate atmosphere. Now, let people be people. And if they happen to really make you happy, that's a wonderful thing. But um, I'm also not overly disappointed by people with this approach either. But I'm also, I don't have to have people in my life that I don't want in my life either. (laughs) So we've talked about that as well. So hopefully, you know, you're developing an understanding of what I mean by having minimal expectations. It's actually a really positive thing and it gives people space. An interesting concept for people to think about, you know? Yeah, I don't disagree at all. Okay, my final question for you both is, what do you think the main facets of a conscious leader are? Well, you know, I, I think, you know, when I think of conscious leader, I really think of just the word conscious in, its, in itself, which is making sure that you're aware, right? Being aware of what is going on around you in every facet of your world, right? You're, you're a leader in an organization, uh, which means you're responsible for certain things being executed, um, but you're also responsible for the well-being of the culture, the environment. Like you, you own that. And so I think part of that is just being aware of the environment, the circumstances, all the things that allow people 
to thrive and be at their best. And when when those things aren't present, that's when you have chaos in organizations. That's when you have, um, you know, people who badmouth or uh, aren't really a part of the team or don't want to be or certainly um, are not the producers that you need them to be. Um, and so I, I just believe that, you know, as a conscious leader, you just have to be awakened to everything that happens and also be accountable to those things. Uh, and so when you're aware and you're accountable, I think that allows you to make better decisions about how you continue to make your company or your organization successful. Yeah, and I, I agree. And I also believe there's a, a really internal perspective on that as well, where consciousness means building this really strong muscle of self-reflection. And um, I try to spend a lot of time doing that. And I think it's important because one of the other things that's important to me, like we talked about before, is being a creator. And if I am not self-reflecting, I think that creates some challenges in being a creator. And it's the self-reflection that's allowed me to realize I don't want to move down this road of being a critic. So I think being a conscious leader is also being someone who has a really strong self-reflection muscle. And um, I think the last part of it for me is just really, again, knowing what value you add and being confident about adding it and not worrying about what people are going to say. And again, I think that's what brought us together in this endeavor is we never once had a conversation about what do you think people are going to think? I love that. We never, we have never had that conversation. We've asked each other how we want to approach this, what we want this to be about, and move forward really quickly. Never concerned about what somebody's going to feel about this. I love it. You're giving yourself radical freedom to be authentic to yourselves. If we're not doing that, why in the world are we doing it? Right. Think about all the people who aren't them. You know? Right. I mean, what's the point? Right. Completely agree. Well, thank you guys for letting me get to know you better. This has been a lot of fun. No, great questions. Thank you. This is fantastic. And thank you for joining us on The Conscious Vibe. Thank you for joining us. And check us out on tcvpodcast.com. <laughs>